1: All right, everybody, what's going on? How you doing? Welcome to Talking Buffalo Podcast, where we often highlight, but are not limited to Buffalo sports, news, media, and entertainment. I'm your host, Patrick Moran. You can find me on Twitter, at Pat Moran Tweets. Thank you very much for locking in today. Tell you what, I'm going to get right down the business today. I'm not going to sit here and blab right at the top. Got a really good guest on. My man, Steve Mathis from Buffalo Fanatics, co host of the Air Raid Hour. He does that with my buddy, David Tilton. Been on the show a couple times, but dude, I just looked it up, man. It's been a while, man. Not since like, August 2020. Holy shit, it's been that long, yeah. dude, since I had you on, yeah. man.
2: What's up? Yeah, I mean, it feels just like, it feels like yesterday, though, man. I think <laughs> COVID will do that to you. It yeah. feels like yesterday. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, for everyone out there who
1: doesn't know Steve, I'm a little bit jealous of you right now because. Like like me, neither of us live in Buffalo right now. You know, we have our Buffalo roots, but you're on the West Coast. I'm down here in the South. I got the Tampa Bay Lightning to, you know, that's like the hometown team that's doing good, but I don't give a shit about them and I don't like them. You, on the other hand, my friend, I am an NBA fanatic and you are in the Phoenix area and the Phoenix Suns are very alive and well in the NBA playoffs. And I'm, man, you know. Again, growing up in Buffalo, I never got to see NBA basketball. Down here, there's no NBA basketball except for Orlando. And again, I don't care about them. What's it like out there right now in Phoenix?
2: After beating the oh, Lakers, man. by the way. Yeah. Rally rally in the Valley, baby. That's what uh, the Phoenix Suns are the talk of the town. Like uh, the Arizona Cardinals just started their OTAs uh, this week. And I'll tell you, what that, that's one thing about uh, Arizona Sports Radio that's so much different is they have the Coyotes, they have the Suns, they have the D-backs, they have the Cardinals. They even have Phoenix Rising FC. Like there's so much sports to talk about here in the Valley. But literally from start to finish, from six in the morning up until tip off, it is all Suns all the time. Uh, you see it on the cars and stuff here, like go Suns. It's a, uh, it, it, it's honestly, it's it's really fun to be around. Um, because one of my biggest things was, um, and I think I might have told this story before. I'm not sure if I told on this podcast, but I was born in 1990, right before the Bill Super Bowl run. My dad was like, "You're the reason why they lost four Super Bowls." <laughs> and then, the year I moved out here to Phoenix, they, thats the year they broke the drought. So he looked like he doubled down. He's like, "Man, it really is your fault." Like, thank you for moving. So I've never, other than like the Drury Breer years, I've never got to like be in a town and experience success like firsthand. So uh, it's actually really cool. And I actually decided to like two years ago adopt transition from a Knicks fan to a Suns fan. So uh, it's, it's been enjoyable. It's been pleasurable.
1: I was going to ask you that. So I obviously meeting in Phoenix, it's exciting for the whole town, but you specifically, are you, are you a pretty big basketball fan? I,
2: I, I dabble. Uh, you know, I I always (laughs) enjoy it. Like, like, don't get me wrong. Like I'll watch March madness. I'll watch the NBA playoffs, but I've never been like, and I'll watch a game like on TNT, like in the background, like while I'm doing stuff, but I've never been like a fanatic of a team. Um, like, I always like the New York Knicks. Like, I grew up, like, I, I started becoming a Knicks fan right around the time of the Mellow Trade. Me too. Um, before that, it was like the, the David Lees of the world. And, and and I actually liked that team, too, with, like, Amon Schumpert and stuff. Uh, so I wasn't, like, a crazy NBA fanatic. Like, I, I understand the league. I know the stars. I understand what the good teams are, the bad teams are. I have my takes, um, like anybody. Um, but I definitely don't follow it the way I follow the National Hockey League or that I follow, obviously, the, the National Football
1: League. Now, see, I'm the complete uh, polar opposite. I like the Buffalo Sabres as bad as they are, but outside of the Sabres, I really don't care much about hockey. Like I said, Tampa's in the playoffs or the Defending Cup champions. Down here, I just, I'm not that big of a, of a hockey guy. If it's not the Sabres, I kind of just dabble. But on the other hand, NBA, I'm a fanatic. Oh, by the way, I'm also a Knicks fan. I grew up a, a New York Knicks fan. I've been a lifelong fan. I'll tell you, man, I, I like Phoenix. They're fun to watch. Chris Paul's a great point oh, yeah. guard. Booker just went off against the Lakers. It was fun to watch. And uh I'm, cl- I'm glad they beat the Lakers. Now, we're taping this late on Monday night. They're playing game one right now against Denver. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that plays out. But, uh yeah, that's fun. By the way, so I, I was on your Twitter. You went camping over the weekend, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Did you? Uh, there's actually. Yeah. I, didn't mean- I didn't mean to cut Sorry. you off. Go ahead. <laughs> no, you're good. It- It's actually one of the things I really enjoy doing out here because I don't think people realize that like they think Arizona, they think desert, they think, you know, heat, 120. But if you go up north uh, to Arizona, places like Woods Canyon, places like Page, Flagstaff, I was in Payson. It's very, very like Buffalo-esque in terms of uh, weather and seasons. And you'll see all the green and stuff. And I I just love going up there because it reminds me of home.
1: So you're telling me that on Sunday night, you did not watch the Floyd Mayweather-Logan Paul fight?
2: (laughs) Uh, that was a fight. I'm I'm pretty sure that that was some really good acting. I think there was at one point, uh, because I I did get home Sunday night. Um, you know, there was one point where Mayweather knocked out Logan Paul, but held him up to keep the fight going. Yeah. I think is what uh, I saw, and and then there was all these people like, you know, there was all these people like you knew what you paid, you knew what you paid for, you know, stop complaining, like you're the problem. You paid for this, you know, blah blah blah. But it's like, I honestly feel like 95% of the people who paid for that fight paid for the fight just to complain about how stupid the fight was going to be. They knew it was going to happen and they just wanted something to be angry at. So they paid money to be angry at it. I, 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 that's the vibe I get from, from what I saw on Twitter.
1: Well, I'll tell you what I, I did watch it. I, I I did not pay for it. I'm going to be honest with you here. So I committed illegal activity. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. But my son who's 18 years old actually watched it with me and yeah, it was completely annoying. it was, it's a disgrace. It's a farce. It's not, real boxing. And anybody who watches boxing and knows boxing knows that had Floyd wanted to, he could have opened up pretty much at any point of the fight. He could have caught him with a counter punch and went on the attack. And you know, that would, that, that would have been a wrap. I get what was going on, but you know, as much as I hate it and, and I do hate it because I am, well, I'm not really so much a boxing fan anymore, just because I think the sport is borderline disgraceful evidence by what I watched on Sunday night exhibition or not. But I grew up a, a big boxing fan, man. I grew up in the '80s, the middleweight era, the golden era where you had Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran, those epic fights, and Thomas Hearns and and Marvin Hagler. You know the the comeuppance of Mike Tyson in the mid '80s. That's like I said, that's like my the golden era of boxing for me. And I'm just I love the sport, and I just hate what it's become now. But at the same token, I get it because I could sit here and bitch at you, or you could bitch at me about these fights if you had paid for it, like you just said. People pay to so that they have a right to bitch about it or whatever have you. I get it though because the target audience in boxing today are kids like my son who's eighteen years old who don't know shit, or like this eighteen, uh, you know, like twenty five year old demographic because you get these YouTube stars like Logan Paul and Jake Paul just. I, I I don't want to say make it a mockery of the sport, but in a way it kind of is. But those are the people that are tuning in are people who like watching social media stuff and YouTube because these guys, to their credit, as much as I can't stand it, they do a hell of a job marketing it. And while older people like us don't really give a shit or don't take it serious, I mean, to to my 18-year-old son, Logan Paul, it was a legitimate fighter. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it was... Yeah. It's just, it's a farce, but I get what they're doing and they're targeting these young people or these people who are like, are addicted to YouTube. And obviously they're doing well because they're making a shitload of money, you know?
2: Yeah. And I have a question for you because I'm a, I'm a novice boxing fan. I'll watch the big fights. I have no idea what's going on, but I'll, ooh, and I'll, ah, and like, I'll get drunk and like watch the fight. Sure. Uh, Usually at a party because I refuse to pay for it. But is Floyd Mayweather part of that problem? Because people that I know that no boxing say that like his MO has been for like 15 years now to sort of duck, just, just, just sit there through the whole fight, duck, the big hits, get his jabs in here and there and win by decision, which isn't the most entertaining form of boxing. Um, is that in fact Floyd Mayweather's MO and does that like at all factor into the, like the lack of entertainment level in boxing? Well, yes. At least for the millennial,
1: it (laughs) is his MO However, that's also what's made him, you know, for all the the circus acts and all the shit talking and and money Mayweather and all. Like I again, this was a, a cash grab on Sunday night. But you strip away all that and you just talk about the boxing. He's one of the greatest boxers who's ever lived. You can't take that away from him. It's just his styles. His style doesn't make for great fights because he's just. He's, in, he's impeccable, man. I mean, he's he's the perfect boxer. He doesn't get hit. Isn't that kind of, it's not fun to watch, like I said, like a Roberto Duran or a Thomas Hearns or Marvin Hagler. Those guys tried to kill you. Floyd Mayweather is like a smaller version of like Roy Jones Jr. When Roy Jones Jr. was in his prime. These guys hit and they don't get hit. They're tacticians. It does make for boring fights, but he dominates them. You know, whether it was uh, Miguel Cotto or, or Al, Alvarez or, Or Ortiz, well, that was kind of a bullshit anyway, or or Manny Pacquiao, who he just absolutely beat the shit out of. You know what I mean? It's just, they're not brutal. They're the lots of, they were one-sided fights, but just that's because of his greatness. But yeah, to answer your question, it's not, you know, you tune in 50 bucks and people are 75 bucks because real fights are usually more than 50 bucks and people come away disappointed because there's not a lot of action. But if you like the sport of boxing, the science of boxing, score, hit, don't get hit. Floyd's one of the, the best of all time. He's 50, and know, I mean, he, it's not like he fought a bunch of tomato cans. He pretty much fought the best of the best in that division.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm with you. But like I said, like I, said uh, I can picture the people who are tuning in for Logan Paul, not really just like respecting uh, that style of boxing from Floyd Mayweather. I mean, uh, I like I said, I only watch the big fights, too, because it seemed like that fight was announced and then happened like a month later, which is not. Usual for boxing, correct? Like usually, there's like six months where they train and prepare. It doesn't usually just happen like almost at the snap of a finger, like this fight did.
1: Right, and it's
2: just it's not real fighting. It's just like when
1: Mike Tyson and Roy (laughs) Jones. I mean, then you got a a moment here, a moment there, but it's more about the spectacle of it. Like I don't know what the hell rap group it was, and I know I sound like old angry guy on the lawn right now bitching about rap (laughs) music, whatever. But there were some rappers out. It's all about the spectacle of it. You know what I'm saying? It's like the boxing is just so secondary. Just like when uh when Tyson fought Roy Jones, I, I think Snoop Dogg rapped that night. You know, it's just all about the whole performance and everything. So much uh mm-hmm. just more than a boxing. or well, whatever. It bothers me. It just does. <laughs> all right. So anyway, before let's train before we transition actually to some Bill's talk, I do got a topic or two that I want to hit on. Tell us a little bit about the air right hour. Like, how's that going? Like I said, it's been a minute since I had you on. You guys do, you and Dave Tilton, you guys do the show live every Monday and every Thursday, which again, I'm going to emphasize that word live because i like this podcast where if I fuck up, I'm just going to edit it and nobody's going to know it. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? But you guys are on the air live, man. So uh, tell me a little bit about how that's going. Now, again, we're taping this late Monday night. You just wrapped up a show, I don't know, a live show maybe an hour or so ago. And I just looked, you already got over a thousand views on it, man. So. Yeah. obviously the shit's going well. Like, how you doing?
2: <laughs> I mean, it's just a kudos to Bills Mafia. I know we had a show the other night. I mean, you know, it's we're we're all, um, just under 100 days until Bill season, and we're we're topping 200, you know, 250 live viewers, and then we're getting you know one two thousand views on replay. Like, it's it's crazy, uh, and there's no such thing as market saturation when it comes to the Buffalo Bills, and. I think what Dave and me and and our, we we added a producer, uh, our producer, Kendall Mersky, who's just been an absolute godsend. The guy timestamps our show for us. He works behind the scenes. He comes on the back half of the show. Let's work for you. you. Adds, adds, adds a different perspective. Um, he's absolutely awesome. And um, you know, he's actually trying to get a job, you know, with an NFL team, like, cause he's, he's got the scouting chops and all that stuff. So he's been an absolute godsend to us, but we've really leaned into the fact that we're a live show. And I tell the comment section this every week, like, we're not a show without you guys. Without you guys, we are two dudes talking into a microphone for 45 minutes and 30 people are listening. Like, people come to our show for the interaction. We take comments seriously. We, uh, you know, viewer comments seriously. We engage. We've created relationships with the people who watch our show. We have regulars who come in. It's kind of like cheers. We got regulars coming into the bar. We got regulars coming into the comment section, you know, every week. And it's just developing those relationships, sharing thoughts, sharing ideas interacting with with Bill's mafia our show is only supposed to be an hour and it usually ends up pushing two uh you know every week uh, something my wife doesn't really quite enjoy uh but I sure do um so I, I told her I'm like listen there's a lot of there's a lot of things in this relationship I will cave to uh, but uh, you're gonna have to deal with me <laughs> spending four hours a week talking into a microphone uh, but it's just it, it's it's awesome it's just it's absolutely spectacular and it's just you know going back to the Arizona thing, um, they were having a conversation on Arizona Sports Radio, you know, about how there was a generation of Suns fans that were lost in the eleven years they didn't make the playoffs. And I thought to myself, I'm like, this is nuts. This is crazy. What do you mean you lost a generation of Suns fans because you weren't good? Most of the Bills fans I know uh, grew up on JP Lossman and like, uh, you know, like Thad Lewis and and the, the the Bills who didn't make the playoffs for seventeen years. Like the Bills Mafia is bigger, stronger, and younger than ever. As many as as many as there are older fans, and my dad grew up in the 70s and 80s when they, apparently they were pretty freaking bad too. And the Bills never lost a generation of fans. You don't see people walking around Buffalo with Patriot hats on, or Eagles hats on, or Raiders hats on, or Cowboys hats on. It's it's absolutely you know crazy to me and mind boggling to me. But Bills Mafia, man. They just make it work and they just make our show so worthwhile. Well, chemistry is important. How agreeable are you and Dave? Like you guys obviously
1: I'm sure you see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. Do you guys ever occasionally do like you kind of disagree and go at it a little bit?
2: And that's the thing. Like it's a problem between me and Dave because we're so like minded. Like whenever we do a show, like let's name the top three sleepers. We actually have to like share our sleepers before the show. We can't surprise each other because nine times out of ten, our three sleepers on the roster are the same. (laughs) because we're so like-minded um you know i I think what sort of the, the the roles that we have fallen into is like i'm more of the like the louder one the one who um sometimes goes into a rant and forgets like statistics and like analytics and just starts just going off without thinking whereas like when i'm done he'll be like all right so what steve just said here's all the statistics to back it up and i'm like thanks you really saved me there um, so, but, um, I mean, to work with, su- with, with such a professional like him uh, on a weekly basis, we've never met in person. We've never met in person. Like, um, I would we never know that.
1: A- I would never know that. I, yeah. would th- I would think you guys are legitimate friends who probably have been friends for several years.
2: No, I mean, we started this podcast about three years ago. We were two strangers who spoke on the phone for 20 minutes and started a podcast together. The network we started with folded. The second network we went with uh, folded. Uh, we ended up at Buffalo Fanatics, and we just keep chugging along. And we would have met by now if not for for COVID. But uh, yeah, one of these uh, one of these one of these years, uh, we will meet in person, and uh, you know we will we will make sure we photograph that for people on social media. <laughs> That's really cool. All
1: right, so before we get into some bills, what's up with my boy Rico, man? I mean, this dude is just pulling some major league yeah. guests on the show lately. Oh, uh, the Rico report. He's had Gregory Rizzo on the show, Stevie Johnson, Zach Moss, Isaiah McKenzie, Hodgkin, Steve Tasker. How's yeah. your boy? How's your boy pulling all these good guests,
2: man? He, I'm
1: starting to get a little uh, bit jealous of that
2: shit. I'll I'll tell you what, he doesn't share his secrets with the little people like us. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. But uh, you know, the and that's the thing, too. It's just like Buffalo Fanatics, Pierre, Rico, Bobby, um. Just the relationships they create behind the scenes with, um, you know, sports agents and, and marketers and, and you, know, you know, auction people and things like that. And the, the way they, 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 they DM players and, and, and when the players come on, it's not stiff. That's what I love about Rico. Like when he talks with Gregory Rousseau, when he talks with Stevie Johnson, it's not. Here's my question. Here's an answer. It's not like he has something he's looking for. It's not like it's a conversation like right. It, it's a it's a conversation and, and he gets these guys to share these stories and he jokes around with them. And it's just uh I know I'm biased because I work at Buffalo Fanatics, but to me, if, if I were to pick one person, you know, in in, in Bill's mafia to, to interview a player or to interview a, a personality, he's the guy I'm going to. Um just because the 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 way that he can Um, you know, craft questions in the way he can listen to actively listen to what people are saying and build off of that and sort of call an audible mid question and go somewhere else and all these different things. It's just the the guy's amazing and his personality is amazing. Um, And you obviously got Pierre and um, Pierre and Bobby behind the scenes uh, pulling some strings as well. So it's just a team effort at Buffalo Fanatics. I couldn't be be happier to be a part of uh, this organization.
1: Yeah. Rico's a good one, man. He's got a He's got a a personality that that draws you to it, if that makes sense. I've had him on the show, and I'll tell you, to this day, one of my favorite guests that I've had on because we had a loose conversation. I mean, we were joking around bullshit and having some fun, but we also had a very serious conversation about race because he came Hmm. on during a time where there was some stuff going on with Bill's Twitter and a couple of blogs and stuff like that. There was some beef going on or some I don't want to say racist stuff, but certainly some racial undertones or overtones, I should say. And uh, yeah, Rico came on, man. We had a, a really good conversation and, and I agree with you a hundred percent. It's not even, I'm not saying that he doesn't know X's and O's because he does, but it's more about that personality. And I think one of the gifts as somebody like Rico and a couple other people out there too, but certainly Rico, for sure, a, a gift to have is when you could conversate with somebody like say a Steve Tasker or Stevie Johnson or, or Gregory Rizzo. And, and like you said, it's not just so much saying, all right, I got this list of questions and I want to ask you this and I'm going to ask you that. And I'm going to ask you this and I'm going to ask you that it's the ability. Uh, I think a good conversationalist, somebody who a good host has the ability to get somebody just to open up more a little, you know, you know like, like kind of let your guard down, let loose a little bit. And I think that's probably one of, uh, one of his biggest
2: strengths. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's not just player interviews either. Like, I, I, I make sure to sit down and watch his show and and watching him makes me and Dave better too because like you'll hop on Rico like, the, the man is such a lightning rod like you'll you'll hop on his show. It'll take us a half an hour, 45 minutes Dave and I to to build up to 100, 150 200 viewers. like they slowly come on. like by the time we hit nine o'clock, we usually hit our peak audience at about you know 180, 200. Rico's there within the first five minutes of his show. like yeah. no, he's see TV. And the relationships he builds with the people in the comment section and and just the relationship he builds with players and, and things like that, his personality, the way he's able to maneuver the comment section and the comments that he said, because he does a solo show. I, I have Dave. When Dave's talking, I can scroll the comment section. When I'm talking, Dave can scroll the comment section. He's solo dolo. like He is on his own simultaneously having a conversation with the audience while simultaneously reading a comment section. And 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 sort of synthesizing what he sees in the comments section and bringing it to his his broadcast and adding it into his content. It's, it's I don't know how he does it. He the man is machine. It's very difficult. It's a skill that a lot of people don't have.
1: I don't have it. I like. I have a guest. I have a variety show. i I always have a guest, and you know, I feel like I'm pretty good at having conversations and deep diving in the topics when the situation calls for it. But point being is this. Couple times I tried doing a show solo and it sucked. I hated it. I'm like, ugh. In fact, one time I did a tape and I was like, dude, I'm not putting this shit out there, man. It's terrible. It's a trait that not a lot of people have. Now there's some people who are really good solo, but you know, I, I feel like when you you get them paired with someone else, they kind of suck because they don't know how to have give and take. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? But yeah, Rico's yeah. one of those guys. Is one of the few that are really good on the solo tip, man. Uh, Joe Marino from Locked On Bills and and Bruce Nolan from Buffalo Rumblings, those are a couple other guys I think that they get really excel um, when they're by themselves. Not that they can't be guests on other shows because they are all the time, including this one, I'm sure. You know, a lot of stuff with Fanatics as well. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's a tough thing to do when, you, uh, when you're when you solo and Enrico's good at it. But anyway, all right, let's take a quick break. We're going to come right back and we're going to talk some Julio Jones and some Buffalo Bills. Be right back.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: All right, I'm back with Steve Mathis. So the big NFL news this week, as it is taping anyway over the last couple of days, Julio Jones got traded from Atlanta to Tennessee. It finally happened. It's been rumored for a while that he was going to get dealt, ends up being Tennessee. Compensation, a 2022 second rounder and a 2023 fourth in Tennessee. Besides Julio Jones also got a 2023rd uh, six rounder. Well, let's start here, Steve. What, what's your take on the trade and what level of interest did you have in the Buffalo bills. Not that you have anything to do with the bills aside from the fact that you guys talk about them twice a week, but as a fan, like what level of interest did you have? Did you at some point think it was realistic that Julio Jones could go to Buffalo? And what are your thoughts on him ultimately ending up with the Tennessee Titans?
2: I never pondered the thought that he, the bills would be like remotely interested uh, don't get me wrong. There, there are people who are definitely on the Julio Jones, to Buffalo train Rico being one of them. And I completely understood where they're coming from. If the Buff- if Brandon Bean made the decision, like, Hey, cause I mean, the Titans didn't give up that much. I mean, don't get me wrong. A second and fourth, a like future six, like it's capital for sure. But for a guy like Julio Jones, yeah, it's not, it's not a first, like it's not the end of the world, what they gave up. So if the Buffalo bills had pulled that trigger, I would have been excited. I would have been happy, but at the same time, I never got my hopes up. I was never emotionally invested in it. I, I, I was off. (laughs) Uh, thankfully I was off, uh, getting married. So i missed some of those Julio shows. I didn't have to, uh, you know, dive too much into it. I was pretty, pretty much Switzerland on the conversation of, of Julio Jones. But in terms of Tennessee, like why not pull the trigger? I mean, you lost Corey Davis, your wide receiving core outside of AJ Brown sucks. Um, you know, He essentially is a souped-up version of what Corey Davis was. Um, And the Tennessee Titans now have a three-headed monster of Julio Jones, Derrick Henry, and A.J. Brown to funnel the football to. And they're sure as heck going to need all three of those studs to be studs and to make Ryan Tannehill the best version of himself because Jonu Smith ain't walking back through that door. They've got no tight ends. Their tight ends are Anthony Ferkser and uh, Jeffrey Swain and Jared Pinckney. Not very talented there. There's no depth in their receiving core. There's no depth at their skill position players like Darrington Evans was hurt most of last year. They had uh, Jeremy McNichol. So not a lot of talent in the running back room behind Derrick Henry. Those three alphas got to be alphas because their defense isn't very good as well. So um, I'm not any more worried about the Tennessee Titans now than I was before the Julio trade. They're still the same team to me. I agree with you
1: on a couple fronts. Number one, I I think the compensation, it tells me that the interest around the league probably wasn't as strong as a lot of reports that we were seeing. I mean, if you turned on ESPN, get up every morning or first take, you would think there were 31 teams around the NFL, you know, getting ready to make their their best offers. Not that the compensation was bad, but I think it was more about taking on the contract, you know, financially, Mm -hmm. With Tennessee, I think that's why the compensation wasn't uh too out of hand. And I also agree when it comes when it comes to the Buffalo Bills, I didn't spend any time because it just would I have liked Julio Jones to a player? Of course. Who wouldn't? I mean, seriously. <laughs> he's one of even today, I mean, yeah, he was hurt last year a lot, but he's still probably a, a top five, six receiver in the NFL, like right now. You know, yeah what, Devontae Adams, and i going off the top of my head, like DeAndre Hopkins and Michael Thomas and Stefan Diggs now, you know, and, and then maybe that's it, man. Like Hill Robinson, uh, Ridley uh, Jones, he's still in that upper tier. So yeah, he would have been a great addition, but I never really thought about it realistically because it just didn't fit to me with the way Brandon Bean is uh, building this team right now. Not so much even just now, but for the future, because this is a football team, Steve, that's got it's time to pony up for Josh Allen soon, you know, mm-hmm. and Stefan Diggs got his, um, his salary converted to a signing bonus. Your man is getting a raise because next year's cap number is going to be nuts. So they're going to give him a new deal. Jermaine Edmonds, very likely going to get a new deal. If, if he plays well, I mean, we'll, we'll see how that plays out, but you get the point. And they've already got money invested. They they paid good money to get Matt Milano back. And Deion Dawkins has a nice deal. Ed Oliver will be coming up. So that's where they're investing their money in. And you need some, if anything, they need to find cheap labor that, you know, young players that are quality. Julio Jones, three years at what, 15 million or something like that per year. It just never felt like a financial fit. I mean, even if the bills... I don't know this, I'm guessing, but even if Atlantis couldn't get any interest around the league and they said, we'll take your fourth rounder because of the financial aspect of it, I'm still not sure, even though he's a great player, I'm still not sure Brandon Bean would have, would have made that deal. You know what I'm
2: saying? Yeah. And it's not even just about the future too. I mean, it's about the present. I mean, if you look at this offense, there's only so many balls to go around and Joe Marino had a great podcast this morning, Locked On Bills, talking about how, despite the fact that there wasn't an, like crazy amount of roster changes there were no like alpha style players brought in here this is a significantly different football team go- heading into the next season than it was last season and one of the points that he brought up was john brown was not healthy last year only played 42 percent of the snaps right so that allowed guys like isaiah mckenzie and gabe davis to get touches and to score touchdowns now you've got emmanuel sanders coming in who if he stays healthy is going to need to be fed the rock you have Gabe Davis coming back into year two. You've obviously got a second team all pro in Cole Beasley. You have Stefan Diggs. I like to call him the core four, which is kind of funny and ironic because it was a term that I had coined after we had signed John Brown and Cole Beasley. I was like, Zay Jones, Robert Foster, John Brown, Cole Beasley, the core four. And now it's like it's an actual core four. <laughs> it's yeah. Stefan Diggs, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders and Gabe Davis. Like, I mean, if you look at it, you got Stefan Diggs on one side. You got Cole Beasley working the slot. You're probably going to have Emmanuel Sanders on the other side, three of the best route runners in football. Gabe Davis is going to still be able to do what he does best and be that big slot type of um, four wide receiver set receiver. They'll probably start trying to platoon him a little bit on the outside with Emmanuel Sanders to keep Emmanuel Sanders healthy and, and fresh for the playoffs and to continue to develop Gabe Davis as an outside receiver. You have Dawson Knox, who's worked with a hand eye coordination specialist all offseason. He's going to tight end university, he's got the physical build of some of the elite tight ends, of the national football league. So who knows if maybe this is the year that he finally hits his ceiling. You have Jacob Hollister who has chemistry with Josh Allen. You have Isaiah McKenzie, Marcus Stevenson, Isaiah Hodgins, all younger players who have potential upside. Cause Isaiah Hodgins always seems to dominate OTAs and training camp. You know, he stepped up, he's never stepped on a football field. Marcus Stevenson with that six round uh, pedigree being one of the fastest players in the draft last year uh, in terms of mile per hour, maybe not so much 40 time. And then you have the running back room of of Singletary Moss, who's coming off of um, you know pretty much an injury riddled season, and and Matt Breda adding that speed element. Josh Allen threw touchdowns to eleven different receivers last year. It would have been twelve if not for Tywan Jones dropping it against New England. This isn't an offense that needs to funnel their game through three guys. This is an offense that can spread the ball around and have success that way. And honestly, I, I prefer that. I, I you know I don't think would Julio Jones have been awesome? Sure. But I'm just as content with, the, with these horses that we have right now. I am too. And I'll tell you what, man. All the stuff that's went on
1: this offseason, re-signing their own guys, all the talk about you know the draft, Travis ATN, taking a running back, all these skilled position players, to all the Julio Jones trade talk, all the Zach Ertz trade talk, which still could happen. But anyway, you know what's went completely under the radar to me? Gabe Davis had a goddamn good rookie season, man. He caught 35 passes for what, like around 600 yards, seven touchdowns as a fourth round rookie. And if people, if you go back to that Indianapolis game in the playoffs, if he didn't make two sideline acrobatic, you know, snagging your toe along the sideline catches, Bills might not score that touchdown right before the half. Who knows what happens that game? He had four catches for 85 yards at any game. I mean, he didn't do shit the rest of the playoffs. He was also hurt, too. (laughs) If I remember, he got hurt now that I'm thinking about it. So I shouldn't even say it like, oh, he didn't do anything. He he got hurt. But anyway, my point is, this kid's got talent, man. He had a really good rookie year, and he's going in the year, too. He's going to have a lot more confidence. I'm sure he's going to be more physically and uh, mentally developed going in the year, too. I like him a lot, man, and I'll tell you. Even healthy, I think he at some point has the ability to at least push Emmanuel Sanders for some playing time when they're in those three wide receiver sets. And that's assuming that everybody's healthy. I think Gabe Davis completely has flown under the radar this offseason when it comes to like talking points about the 2020 Buffalo Bills.
2: Yeah, and, and Gabe Davis, is, is it's difficult, right? Because he put up a lot of his numbers when John Brown was on the field and sort of you saw his numbers dip when John Brown wasn't. And that's where you you were happy as a Bills fan that Emmanuel Sanders was brought in because it's not like you're going to put too much pressure on him. That's why I would like to see the Bills continue to use him in that big slot role like they used him when John Brown was healthy um, because he really had a lot of success in that big slot role. But you know, as you mentioned and as I mentioned earlier, I would like him to platoon with, um, with Emmanuel Sanders on the boundary because I do want him to develop as a boundary receiver in the National Football League. I don't think his bread... If his bread and butter is a big slot, then he's Alan Lazard. Like, that's going to be his ceiling. He's Oh, he's Alan Lazard. He's a really cool niche player, but you don't want to give him a second contract because you can go find that somewhere else. You want him to develop as a boundary receiver, a guy who can play on the outside, a guy who can be your number two. Maybe, if he hits his the highest ceiling possible, can be a number one receiver Possibly when Stephon Diggs is gone, but you just honestly be content with a big-bodied boundary number two receiver um, in Gabriel Davis. But a lot of work is still to be done. The upside is there. You love to see him working out with Josh Allen in the off season, um, and and it. Just, I have confidence as a fan, you know, but there is concern for him when you take the fan goggles off and look at the production he had when John Brown wasn't playing. Um, but like I said, as a fan. I'm pumped. Like, I'm so excited to see him play again this year. This offense with these four guys. Oh, I never want to run the ball again, man. Let's just throw every play. <laughs> Screw it. Well, I'll tell you what. I can promise you that the Buffalo Bills
1: very much want Gabriel Davis to continue <laughs> to develop into a good player because, again, going back to one of the reasons why I never considered Julio Jones a very realistic possibility for Buffalo because of future money, going back and paying Josh to step on and these guys. I talked about that young, cheap labor that could produce. You're looking at one right there and Gabe Davis because Emmanuel Sanders, what, 34 years old? He's going to be one and done. Cole Beasley, mm-hmm. I love Cole Beasley, but Cole Beasley's going to be, what, 33 years old in 2022. still has another year left on his deal, like $7.5 million or whatever it would cost against the cap. There's, who knows? You know what I'm saying? But Gabe mm-hmm. Davis' uh, continuing to develop would be very welcome news for the Buffalo Bills. I'll switch it back to Tennessee. I'm with you for the most part. I do, I, I start... <laughs> I get it about Jono Smith not walking through that door, but I'll tell you, Julio Jones, you, you brought up Corey Davis. Julio Jones is what Corey Davis is sometimes, but Julio Jones is that player all the time when he's out there. You know what I mean? Him and A.J. Brown, bro. Yeah. That's that's pretty goddamn deadly. And then Derrick Henry, which is the thing, though. It's like, well, what are they going to do? You, can only, you only got one football. They're going to be a running team. They're going to throw the ball, but they're going to be dangerous at least on offense. But again, the problem with Tennessee is their defense sucks, bro. Sucks. they are like, what? Tw- yeah. I'm looking at the stats right now. They're 24th in points, 28th in yards last year. And I'm not sure how much adding Janoris Jenkins and, and Bud Dupree. Who, I mean, he can't get after the quarterback. I don't know how much, you know, that's going to change that. And they drafted Caleb Farley huge risk, huge reward guy. Uh, but is he going to be better right away than Malcolm Butler? Who's a good corner. He walked. You know, and and, he had a great and, game against the Bills last year. I mean, God, he, he had one of the best games of the season against Josh Allen last year uh, for Tennessee. So they lost him, mm-hmm. and, and again, Caleb Farley. But yeah, mm-hmm. man, I don't know how serious I could take Tennessee as, uh, you know, one of the top-tier teams in the AFC. I don't know how much Julio Jones moves the needle. You don't hurt it, though. You don't hurt it, Steve.
2: What? I'm sorry, I didn't hear what
1: you said there. No, I said Julio Jones doesn't move the needle too much, but he doesn't hurt it. You know what I mean? He, oh, all right. He, he's definitely I, still a a, a force <laughs> to to be regular. I'll tell you what, though. It does make me, this move alone makes me really hope that the Bills still end up with a better cornerback option than Levi Wallace. I'm just, they could do worse than him. I get it. He's a good floor player. Like, you know, you're not going to have 22- uh, spots of, of strength on your team, you're going to have a couple, at least semi weaknesses. And if that's your floor, if that's the worst you're going to do at corner, I can live with him. But man, the thought of him one-on-one with whether it's Julio Jones or AJ Brown, it scares the shit out of me because Trey white can only, yeah. you know, cover one of those guys. Are mm-hmm. you still, are you still of the mindset that you think the bills might target a corner? Cause they do got the money now if they want to add somebody. Cause I like Steven Nelson a lot. And, uh, like I said, the Bills had the cap money to make it work because they did rework Stefan Diggs' deal.
2: Yeah, I mean, Steven Nelson, I guess the reports were about 14 teams were interested in him, one of them being the Buffalo Bills. So I wouldn't be surprised if like maybe during training training camp a trigger got pulled on a player like Steven Nelson, but I'm not holding my breath for it. Um we made I made an analogy on the show tonight that um you know the story of Levi Wallace is like a, a cheesy romantic comedy. The position of CB2 is like the hot chick in, in every rom com, right? And, uh, you know, Levi Wallace is the, the, the best friend, the shoulder, the cry on the one you lean on. Uh, and Dane Jackson is like that hunky bad boy that walks through the door and the free agent market is like that, that hunky bad boy that walks in the door that keeps breaking the, that keeps breaking the girl's heart, like Vontae Davis and, uh, you know, EJ Gaines and, uh, Philip Gaines just keeps breaking your heart. And you always just go back to, they, at the end of the movie, you're always, you, you always, you realize you realize Levi was the one you were supposed to be with all along and um you know all jokes aside in that analogy if the pass rush gets better maybe Levi Wallace gets better because the Buffalo Bills don't have to try to play man to man defense they can play zone they don't have to be versatile if the the pass rush can get there with four or five guys maybe Levi doesn't struggle against a guy like AJ Brown or um Julio Jones so maybe the conversation should be about let's make sure this defensive line is as successful as possible because i mean if you look at the secondary teron johnson came on late last year T- trey white is an all pro Micah hyde and jordan Poirier might not be all pros but they should be all pros three three of the four starters in our secondary are some of the best in the business and teron johnson's uh captain clutch at the end of last year and seemed like he started to turn his game around so if your weakest link is levi wallace but th- but the pass rush steps up all of a sudden like it really masks the weaknesses of of a guy like levi wallace
1: I right, see. Well, let me ask you this, the bills with that digs money. It only makes sense to spend it now. If they restructured his money and they move that money back to next year, that actually hurts them. So they're, they're mm-hmm. up to, there's something that they're going to be up to. What do you think it is? Is it a guy like Steven Nelson or, or Richard Sherman? Ultimately could it be a defensive tackle like Kawan short? We've heard about Zach Ertz for months now. I mean, Julio Jones, you know, which was funny because before he got dealt in in the move for Diggs, you know the, the freeing up the money was made. I, I I know there were a lot of people out there I saw on Twitter that thought that maybe they were in play to make a move for Jones. Obviously, that didn't happen. but what do you think they're up to? because again, that money is only good. It only made sense to do that with Stefan Diggs if they're going to spend that money now.
2: yeah, it's interesting. in my opinion, I think the bills i I think the window might have closed again. But I, I really do think the Bills were in on, on Zach Ertz. I mean, from all indications, the Bills were in on Zach Ertz before the draft, and then Howie Roseman um, wanted a fourth-round pick or something like that instead of a fifth-round pick. The, the The Bills weren't willing to budge anything higher than a fifth-round pick. Um, so stuff about eating some of Zach Ertz's money. Philadelphia, just like Atlanta, didn't want to eat any of Julio Jones's money. Philadelphia doesn't want to eat any of Zach Ertz's money. I think the Buffalo Bills were probably close to striking a deal for Zach Ertz again. A couple of people on Twitter, uh, Ryan Ryan Lazel from... Um, from from uh, GSN and and a couple of other guys um, who, who were in on the initial reports. Um, we're talking about, you know, Zach Ertz and the Buffalo Bills being close to a done deal again. And I know Jim Bonos on Ty Dune's podcast uh, doesn't have the nicest things to say about Howie Roseman and interacting with Howie Roseman. So to me, I think that that money was freed up for Zach Ertz. I don't know if that deal is ever going to get pulled because I think Howie Roseman's can going to continue to be howie roseman um but that being said i mean you mentioned steve nelson can't go wrong with steve nelson richard sherman can't go wrong with richard sherman i'm not so high on kawan short if i'm going for an interior guy give me Jarrell casey he's the guy that i wanted i mean he uh tore his bicep last year in denver didn't play a lot but before that he was playing some really high level football there in tennessee um i'd be team i've been team Jarrell casey um and, and you're right it does make sense to spend that money now but who knows maybe they're saving the money in case uh Someone gets, you know, cut during training camp or they just want to have that money to go chase a guy who gets cut during the, the roster cuts of, of training camp before the season starts. Trade so,
1: deadline, trade deadline possibilities. Maybe they can yeah, do something with having that. Having
2: that money, having the money during the season to go make a move in the middle of the season. So uh, any number of possibilities, my guess is it was initially for Earth, but maybe not so much anymore. I'll, again, this is me reading tea leaves. This is me just making stuff up that's in my own mind, like how I'm visualizing it. I think Harry Roseman was just Harry Roseman. And I don't think Ertz deal is ever going to get done. But I think that's what it was initially. I'm good with Zach Ertz not
1: coming to Buffalo. Uh, it's, not, it's not even so much that I'm sold on Dawson Knox. I like Hollister to an extent, but I want to give Dawson Knox another year. I'm not sure how much better Zach Ertz makes the offense. I'm not even sure how much of a significance the tight end position has. I know we all want the tight end position to matter so much. Josh Allen loves throwing those wide receivers. And we got four good ones, at least four good ones. I'm not even counting Isaiah McKenzie or uh, Hodgkins if he, if he does something this year. So eh, I, I could think of better things to do with that money and draft compensation. Like I, I'm all about Steve Nelson. I'm team Steve Nelson. I think he would be a significant upgrade over Levi Wallace. And I also agree with you about Casey. I'd like him more than Quan Short. And I could see that happening, by the way. It'll be fun to, it'll be fun to track. But anyways, all right, so we talked about, but we already know, I'm not going to bother asking you where I think you think I should say the Bills stand, because I know you're going to tell me Kansas City and then Buffalo, so I'm going to save my breath there. After that, though, all right? So you got Kansas City, you got Buffalo. The two teams from the AFC Championship game last year, till proven otherwise, those are the two teams in the AFC, but who's after that right now? Like how much did Julio Jones, you said he didn't move the needle too much for you for Tennessee, like after Kansas city, after Buffalo were a couple of, uh, the teams that you're, you think are the biggest threat to, uh, to take the AFC right now.
2: That's a great question. I mean, to me, I would go with, um, oh gosh, I would go with Cleveland. I think obviously Cleveland's, um, you know, an obvious answer there with the, the additions they made this off season. I really like Indianapolis. I, I really respect Matt Eberflus as a de- defensive coordinator, and Frank Reich now has like a younger talent to work with at quarterback. Whether he can completely remold Carson Wentz or not, um, you know they have a relationship together, and he's obviously uh, a better ball of clay to work with than a, than an aging Philip Rivers. Um, I would have liked to see Indianapolis make a deal for a guy like Julio Jones because I like their weapons on offense. I just don't think they have an alpha on that offense. Like there's T Y Hilton who's getting up there. There's Michael Pittman, uh, there's Zach Pascal. There's, um, you
1: know, yeah, they're solid. They're solid all the way around, but they, they could have used, used,
2: the, used that playmaker, that mm-hmm. game
1: changer, like a, like a, a healthy Julio Jones for sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, then outside that, like Tennessee as well, um, yeah. Oh, goodness. I'm trying to pull up <laughs> the, the AFC. Well, idiot. yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I haven't given too much thought to it. Yeah, Baltimore. I'm not going to lie to you. Baltimore doesn't scare me. Like, they, they don't. They really don't. And at the end of the day, and I've said this before, I, I'll say this before and I'll say this again. I respect the heck out of Lamar Jackson. And I think Lamar Jackson is a good, at quarterback. I think he's being wasted in Baltimore. I think they're doubling down in strengths and not letting him develop into a real quarterback. You looked at Josh Allen. And I had a lot of issues with Brian Dable early on in Josh Allen's development. I'm like, why can't we do more creative things like Baltimore? Why can't we lean into Josh Allen's strengths? Why is Brian, Brian Dable trying to make him do what traditional quarterbacks do? And at the end of the day, and I believe it was Greg set from Cover One who said this, I, I apologize if it was someone else. Brian Dable was like, dude, this is the NFL. You're going to do what NFL quarterbacks do, and you're going to sink or you're going to swim. Learn how to be an NFL quarterback. And that's what Josh Allen did. He learned how to be an NFL quarterback. Baltimore's still babying Lamar Jackson. They don't have a Brian Dable there saying sink or swim time, Lamar. They yeah. just have a guy who's gonna, who's willing to baby him and create an offense for him that caters to his strengths and tries to mask his weaknesses instead of trying to fix his weaknesses. And it was absolutely pathetic the way they tried to rebuild the receiver. Court. Like I like Rashad Bateman. I like Tillon Wallace, Sammy Watkins, but like they could have done such a better job rebuilding this offense. Greg Roman should have been fired. They should have brought in a real offensive coordinator who understands the nuances of passing the football. Um, and so, to me, until until Jim Jim Harbaugh is it Jim Harbaugh? John John Harbaugh John Harbaugh. Wow, I got that confused for a second. there. <laughs> until John Harbaugh decides that he needs to take the risk, like because Baltimore's just afraid to take the risk. They know what they have in Lamar Jackson. They know what he does well. They know what he, they're afraid to take that plunge. They're afraid of the unknown if they try to make Lamar Jackson, anything different until he's willing to take that plunge and fire Greg Roman and bring in a real office coordinator. They don't scare me. They don't. I'm
1: with you there. After Kansas city and Buffalo, I think Cleveland and India are the two next best teams in terms of roster talent. And they have seen, you know, what's fun. And a year ago, we were talk. we would have been talking about the same exact thing going into the, to the season. The bills were coming off a playoff appearance where they lost an overtime against Houston And what was the big burning question last year? They got all this talent. They got the receivers. The defense is good. This and that. What was the question? The question was, can Josh Allen take that next step? Can Josh Allen become a legitimate, true franchise quarterback? Fortunately, we got the right answer this year. Now I think you look at Cleveland and it's the same thing. This team is freaking loaded, man. They got a lot of talent. They can run the hell out of the football. They got a great line. Two of the best running backs in football. They got Beckham back. They got... Decent receivers, good tight ends. They got two really good pieces in the draft uh, on the defensive side of the football. Everything's there except Baker Mayfield. Is he going to be pedestrian or is he going to take that next step? And if he takes that next step, I'm telling you, Cleveland's going to be a force in the AFC Mm -hmm. and kind of diddle with Indy. Again, I don't think Indy is really great at any one specific thing on their football team, except their offensive line's really good. But they can run the ball. They got decent receivers. They got a pretty good defense, really good linebackers. But now they got Carson Wentz. What Carson Wentz are you getting? Are you getting the guy who played at a near MVP level a couple of years ago? Or are you getting the Carson Wentz we've seen a lot of last couple of years who's not very good? That's why Philly got rid of him, mm. you know? Um, so these teams, it comes to to quarterback play, and it, it's fun and it's nice and it's, uh, it's just a good feeling. As a Bills fan here, to be able to just sit back a little bit and say, all right, man, well, you know, I mean, you never know. You can't take it for granted that Josh Allen's going to play at an MVP level, so uh, I'm not going to go that far, but you know you got your quarterback, and I still, these teams right now, and you talked, and, and I agree with you 100% about Baltimore. I think that offense is just tragic the way it's being built, masking uh, his trying to get you know hide his weakness instead of playing to his strengths. I completely agree with you 100% there. Yeah, so I, I would say those teams, Miami, I mean, Miami's got a lot of talent, but again. Is Tua going to be much better his second year?
2: New England's, other? Defense scared, yeah. New England's defense scares the shit out of me. Their offense doesn't. Their defense scares the shit out of me. Like, I I envision New England this year. This this is what I envision, Um, you know, Bill Belichick trying to do. I envision Bill Belichick trying to win football games this year, like 16-13, like, like 20 yeah. to 16. Like, like he old gonna, school,
1: it, big 10 yeah. college football, like back They're, in the day kind of football, yeah. yeah.
2: They're going to kick your ass on defense. They're going to dink and dunk you on offense with those two tight ends, 12 personnel. They're going to run the ball down your throat. Um, and, and they're just going to try to beat you the old school way. I think that's, that's where Bill Belichick is leading this year. And I think that's why he re-signed Cam. Um, because even though Cam can't throw the ball more than 10 yards in the air, you can throw it to a tight end <laughs> and you can hand the ball off and you can also run the football pretty well if you're Cam Newton as well in those 12 personnel. So that defense in New England is scary. Um, Bill Belichick is obviously a really good head coach. And they have enough on offense to maybe score enough points that they can hold teams to, you know, 13, 20 points a game.
1: I'm going to throw one more team in the AFC out at you right now. I think they're really good. They got a lot of talent, but they suck at quarterback. However, there's a disgruntled quarterback in Green Bay that if he happens to get his way and end up there, dude, if, if the Denver Broncos end up getting Aaron Rodgers, because if he does get traded, I mean, the, the reports were that that would be the favorite to land him. You put Aaron Rodgers on the Denver Broncos, and you're going to have a battle in the AFC West between them and Kansas City. I'm going to tell you right now, Denver's got a good team. They just got really shitty quarterback play right now.
2: Vic Fangio is a really good head coach, and you know he can coach defense, and there's talent on that defense. And then if you look at their skill position, it's like Cameron Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, um, Tim Patrick. They have uh, Font, the tight end. Noah font. Um, they have the running back uh Williams that they just drafted. They have Melvin Gordon, like they have so much talent on that team. Their offensive line isn't that bad either. So much talent in that football team. They have good talent on their defense and a good defensive coach. Everything everything that anything that's holding that team back. Even if Teddy Bridgewater can turn into like Alex Smith 2.0 for what the Kansas City Chiefs had a couple of years ago. Denver could be a threat to possibly win that division or be a wild card contender. Um, another team they have AFC west too, Justin Herbert. Was it a fluke? Are you Blake Bortles, the quarterback who just put up a whole bunch of statistics because your team was down, or are you the real deal? I think we're going to find that out in Los Angeles this year uh, because as much as I love Anthony Lynn as the human being, uh, he wasn't the greatest head coach in the world. He didn't make the best in-game decisions. So a guy like Staley um, could keep them in football games, and a lot of people are are pointing towards Los Angeles. The Chargers as a sleeper this year, and I uh, I think they had the same record as Tampa Bay in that Tampa Bay had the year before the Tampa Bay went to the Super Bowl and they picked in the same draft spot as Tampa Bay or something like that. There was some weird uh, sort of like uh, conspiracy theory type of thing out there that said the stars were aligned for the Chargers this year. But um, the Chargers are a pretty darn good football team as well.
1: I think Justin Herbert's a great quarterback. I think he's very for real. I don't think he's a fluke whatsoever. I'll tell you, as, as a Bills fan and in the AFC East, thank God Miami passed on him. Because I would not yeah. want him playing for the Miami Dolphins instead yeah. of Tua right now. You know what I mean? A big, big difference. I think Miami's going to regret that yeah.
2: uh, for when, years to come. I would
1: take. I would take the, her. Go ahead.
2: When the biggest off-season story for your franchise is that your quarterback hit puberty, uh, not a great off-season <laughs> for you if you're the Miami Dolphins.
1: <laughs> I would take Herbert. <laughs> I would gladly take him in front of Baker Mayfield right now, or Lamar Jackson, or Wentz, all these other quarterbacks uh, that we're talking about. So yeah, I think they deserve to be in a the mix. They could. They could. They could surprise. I don't even know how much of a surprise it would be. Um, they're they're they got a lot of t- the AFC loaded, but yeah, going back to Denver, man. If they get Aaron Rodgers, and by the way, another quarterback who at least is a possibility. If his, the legal shit gets cleaned up, he's gonna get traded. If that if he plays anywhere at all, and that's Deshaun mm-hmm. Watson too. Put him on the Denver Broncos if if that shit gets, clears up. They're a. Uh, it's a it's a loaded conference, man. It really is. It's like the NBA where the Western Conference dominates every year and the East kind of sucked every year. You had LeBron with Cleveland and pretty much that was it. That's kind of like Tampa Bay right now. And then everyone else in the NFC, especially if Aaron Rodgers isn't gonna beat with Green Bay. I mean Drew Brees retired. And then there's a bunch of what if teams out there. Not in the AFC, dude. The Bills could finish they could the Bills could go fourteen and three and win the AFC or they could be nine and seven and six or seventh in this conference, just because not that, you know, they're not a good team. It's just, there's a lot of good teams in the AFC. So man, mm-hmm. it's going to be, it's going to be fun. A couple more things. I'm gonna let you go. What about camp? So it was just reported on Monday. There will be no training camp at St. John's Fisher, which sucks by the way, for me personally. Anyway, I was looking That's forward awful. to uh, yeah. being in Buffalo and going there. They're going to have camp in OP. And they said it was because of complexities with COVID and Brandon Bean emphasized this, cause I knew it was gonna be ass, and I'm glad it was, but it has zero to do with uh vaccination thresholds because I know that was a you know, an immediate knee jerk reaction from a lot of people that because not enough guys got a shot, that's why they weren't going. But Brandon Bean said that had, and I'm quoting, literally zero to do with it. But anyway, uh mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that? I, again, you're out in Arizona, so you probably you weren't going to be around anyway, so you probably didn't give a shit. But uh, yeah. <laughs> you, do you like do you like the thought of I, Bills having camp in
2: Rochester more, or do you think it should be in Orchard Park? I think there's two sides to this coin. I, as a fan of the football team, I always enjoyed camp in Rochester. I mean, I lived an hour and a half away because I I grew up in Grand Island. I went to four or five training camp practices a year. I love the atmosphere at St. John Fisher. I think that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean genuinely like the aspect of getting players away from their family, getting players away from their beds and their distractions and bringing them together kind of like, uh, you know, the old Junction Boys, of the Alabama days getting I think Sean McDermott, you know, old school football guy. I think he likes that. But I think after two years and Thad Brown reported that they there was no pause on the deal with St. John Fisher because of COVID. The deal is up. The Bills are a free agent now to go to training camp wherever they want. I think that after two years with that Ad Pro training facility that they have in Orchard Park, and all of those practice fields that they have in Orchard Park, and the fact that Sean McDermott is very much about preparing for game day, and the fact that they can actually practice on the actual football field they'll be playing on, um, use the locker rooms they'll be playing in, I think by the end of this two years of of being in Buffalo, I think that it's going to be Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott making the decision to keep it in Buffalo. I think if they do that, they would be best be served to put seats on the practice fields and allow fans in. I believe it would behoove them to do weekends in the stadium and allow fans in the stadium. I don't know what the logistics of it are. I think it would behoove them to maybe do one intersquad squad at St. John Fisher College or maybe at the Carrier Dome in Syracuse, something of that nature. I, I, again, I don't know the logistics of moving all that stuff just to, to do one game or one practice, but it would behoove them to try to keep the Central New York people involved, but I think at the end of the day, it's going to stay uh, in orchard park permanently, even after all of this COVID stuff is said and done. That's the hunch
1: that I get to. I feel like part of the reason why they, they went to Rochester, at least at the time was the regionalization of the franchise, because I mean, let's face it, they had a lot of shitty years and it was critical. Every fan was critical. It was hard to get fans at that time to Rochester and Southern Ontario. That's why they played games in Toronto. It was, it was a time where this franchise was quite frankly in trouble, you know? But right now, they're the hottest thing going, and uh, I think they're here to stay. Fan interest is here to stay. I liked it in Rochester, and I know a lot of sports media people that, you know, guys that I'm friends with, guys and girls in, in the media, they love going to Rochester for the food and just the, you know, the bonding, the opportunity to, for some of them who report every day, they they actually stay in the dorms, and, you know, they work there, and they and it's part of the, the developing of relationships. You're probably not going to get that as much. In fact, you're not going to get that much in Orchard Park, but yeah, I think it'll be a competitive advantage for Buffalo to stay in Orchard Park. And then ultimately, uh, I agree with you. I, I think that's going to end up what happens. One last thing. I'm going to let you go, Steve. <laughs> this is kind of funny. Now, for <laughs> everyone listening, you know Steve through his show and through Twitter primarily as a Bills guy. But, but Steve talked about it. Steve's a hockey guy, too. So he knows his hockey. Right? And I mean, not that it takes a smart person to know how pathetic the Sabres are right now. But anyway, so Monday was... Kim Bagula's birthday, and I, and I got to leave it with this in a matter of minutes. So the Buffalo Bills Twitter handle tweets out, you know, happy birthday to team president and Kim Bagula. And the comments, for the most part, were pretty chill, you know, calm and happy birthday, la, 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 la. I don't know, bro. Ten minutes later, the Savers, I don't know why they would do this, man. Why, 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 why? But they did. They <laughs> tweeted out the same thing in all hell breaks loose, man. The gifts came out. It, the nasty comments, sell the team, and a lot of things that I probably, or not probably, I won't repeat on this podcast were said. If you're the social media director of the Buffalo Sabers, shouldn't you have your pulse? No disrespect. I don't know who it is now. I used to know who it is. I don't know who it is currently, but dude, have your pulse with the fans <laughs> a little bit. What what's your expectation when you tweet out a happy birthday to Kim Bagula? knowing how fans feel, they cannot be that naive, cannot be that blind to, to how infuriated fans are right now. They tweeted that out and predictably chaos ensued
2: because yeah. the comments were fucking ugly, dude. Ugly. <laughs> um, yeah, Sabre Twitter is a pretty toxic place right now. I, I will say that you can't not do it, right? Like, you can't just, like, you you have, like, when it's a player's birthday or an owner's birthday, like, if you do it for the bills, you have to do it. Like you just kind of have to bite the bullet. Yeah. And do it, right. You can, you, you, you would just ignore it. Like I, I know you can turn off comments on tweets now, but then you probably get a hellstorm of people like, Oh, these guys are turning off the tweets. They're censoring the fans voice. Like I, there's just no winning because Sabres Twitter is just so toxic right now. Um, and deservedly. So, I mean, what a joke of a franchise. I oh. mean, what kevin adams is what the rink manager at the harbor center uh he played 15 years in the NHL and somehow he's qualified to be the general manager of this hockey team uh their head coach who i was a big fan of at the time of the hire is just turned out to be an absolute joke and when you should have cut the cord you didn't cut the cord um you know donnie meatballs comes in and, and actually lets his players be players and there's some fun and there's some excitement maybe if they would have done that before and like hired bruce boudreau or hired gerard gallant or hired a real gm and brought brought a gm uh, like the thing about the NHL is it's such a freaking boys club, right? Like every, every GM is a retread. Every head coach is a retread, but if the Sabres would have just tried to not be different and just done what every other team, the national hockey league does and hired some retread GM and brought in a retread coach like Bruce Boudreau or Gerard Gallant, it's not a terrible hockey team. Like somehow the coaches and the general managers somehow bring in talent and they're worse. Like they just fall off a cliff. Players come to Buffalo to die, and then they go out of Buffalo and are somehow reinvigorated again. And you see it with Taylor Hall. It's like, what the hell is in the water here in Buffalo? You come here, you suck. You're good. You come here, you suck. Then you leave, and you're good again. It's like the the magic potion is just leaving here. Uh, it's just so toxic, and 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 that's the point where I'm at. Like, so I, I, I'm kind of going on a rant here. <laughs> off of, of what your initial question was but i understand 100 percent where the fans frustrations are coming from but and, and kim pool is responsible for it like they're responsible for it the the, the Pagula's bit off more than they can chew with the harbor center and uh the recording studio that they own and pagula sports and entertainment and and the bills they've bit off more than they can chew and um it seems like the sabers are very low on their priority totem pole I don't even think they're number two behind the bills. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man, that's how we're going to end
1: this podcast today. <laughs> so we got nice guy, Steve, for a full hour. I make the mistake of bringing a one little Sabres <laughs> question at the end, and then we get ranting Steve at the end. That's, that's the perfect way to end this. I want to thank everybody out there for tuning in, for listening. If you have not yet please go ahead and do that right now. We're on Apple, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. Every Tuesday, every Friday, random bonus episodes scattered throughout Make sure you follow Steve on Twitter at Judge Mathis. Check out the Air Raid Hour live on YouTube with David Hilton, Mondays and Thursdays. Brother, thanks so much for doing this. By the way, for everyone out there listening, I got a hold of Steve literally today. And uh, I said, yo, I I need you tonight. And he had to do his show. And then he said he'd hit me up after. And uh, I, I typed out a message to him like five hours previously and never hit send. So I hit it at like 9, 30, 10 o'clock and your man still jumped out with me and, and taped us late into the night. So thank you very much for that. And, and thanks
2: for doing the pod, man. You know, I love having you on. Hey man, I appreciate it. It's not that late for me. West Coast, best coast, baby. I still got the rest of the Suns game to watch. It's only eight o'clock here. When you make decisions
3: for your company, you always look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do,